I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Hey, this is Eric with 30 by 40 Design Workshop with a heads up that all of my content will be streaming on Gable Media. Starting October 7th, you can head on over to gablemedia.com video to check it out. Hi everyone, my name is Steven and I am the creator of Show It Better. And I'm glad to announce that Show It Better is now streaming on Gable Media. Visit gablemedia.com video to catch up on our full catalog. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Morning, everyone. And you're listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. Jason, we have a guest that's joining us today. He is the Vice President of Alloy Development, Jeff Sullivan. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm uh, with Alloy Development. We are a architecture and development firm in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, we're located in an uh, area called Dumbo, uh, down under Manhattan Bridge overpass, for those who don't know the acronym. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for having me. So tell us a little bit about, just quick synopsis of your background, and then a little bit more about Alloy. Sure. Um, I'm uh, an architect here at Alloy. Um, I also have a construction management background, Um, came from a construction family growing up, 
we are a um, development firm first and foremost, but we are all architects. So we are, you know, 12 individuals more or less. Um, I would say all but maybe two are um, architects. I think we have eight licensed architects within the office. Uh, we were founded um, back in uh, 2006 with kind of the, the idea of as an architect, how do we take more ownership over the projects we do? And so um, with that, we've um, done a handful of projects through the city and the last five now have been focused um, right near our office here in Dumbo in Brooklyn. Um, they are all, you know, within a block or two distance from us, which is pretty nice these days. And um, yeah, we go from everything from townhouses that we've done that are about, we did five townhouses that were, um, you know, total of probably 20,000 square feet altogether to um, another local one that's about 100,000 square feet and a future project that's um, a, our largest development yet that's a full block redevelopment in Brooklyn of almost a million square feet. So our skill sets vary, our um, internally, um, everyone has kind of a very interdisciplinary background, which makes for a fun, more um, active culture within the office and kind of get your hands in a lot of different parts of the architecture development and construction process altogether. Yeah, that's so fascinating uh, that you guys are set up that way. It's sort of the future, I think, for architects is to to try and put on that development hat just because the industry has made architecture such a commodity <laughs> um, and just constantly pushing down on, on fees that I think it's sort of the only route for architects to to go is to start to get some of that responsibility back on their plate who is the principal or is there a group of people that started the firm and and do you know some insight into sort of the thinking in starting the company that way yeah so the three um principals um there's aj pyries Catherine mcconvey and uh, jared delavalle um, jared and Catherine started originally and aj was very soon after uh, became part of the team uh, the concept itself uh, was funny. I think um, Jared it came from a similar background as myself. We actually both went to Washington University in St. Louis, uh, obviously at different times. But um, he had uh, uh, um, his actual, he was a construction management um, uh, degree, master's construction management as well as architecture. Had a, I think his senior thesis even was um, this kind of combination of architecture and development it was um i wouldn't say shelved but a, a pet project for a while and then um, when it came to fruition uh back in uh, 2006 um, there were opportunities for them to uh, team up and actually do this sort of thing i would say the in a lot of ways the structure kind of goes back to the kind of master builder traditional kind of architect um, definition which I think we really like to get into the details and take the ownership of things. And so I think one of the opportunities that we found early on as a team was when you are the architect and you are the owner, you know, you're making decisions that are, you really start to question the value of the decision where is this, is this worth it where I'm taking this out of my pocket to, to pay for it? And it's not something that you shake and falls off the building. You want it to be part of the building. It has an inherent value and you start to redefine that. And so 
Yeah, I think, you know, it's evolved over the years. I think we've grown to include also like brokerage. So we do our own sales um, for condominium projects. Wow. We, yeah, so like, I think that's what you were saying. a whole level of complexity. I mean, that's a whole different, yeah. And, then, and I think what you were saying too about um, uh, fees and things like that, one of the things we try to do, I think is valuable is diversify, right? So, you know, there's fee structure from, brokerage sales there's um there's obviously um development fees there's architect fees there's um we do a, do a lot of our own marketing and things like that we also have for a brief period had our own construction company um so we did our townhouses called 55 pearl we did those with our own construction company i think we we recognized as i'm sure jason probably knows is uh for our scale, which is 12 people who focus on development and architecture and very limited scale, um, as a project, as a company, you upscale, you just need a larger back of house. You need a larger, you know, infrastructure in your, in your system to really support the hundred thousand square feet buildings, things like that. And I think for us, we just recognized our value as a construction company was the fine detail in a townhouse, not the hundred thousand square foot. Um, scale building that you know we started to want to do as a development firm. I'm I'm kind of curious when you guys go from from an architecture situation where you guys are primarily in design, or at least that's what your background is, right? Or you go to school to be trained that way classically. When you decide to all of a sudden bolt on, and, I, and I'm making that sound immediate. Obviously, that probably wasn't the case. But when you decide to bolt on, you know, the construction side, the development side, are you guys essentially working with? a contractor to do that and subbing that portion out or because there's a whole other training piece and education piece that goes along with that. Right. Um, so I'm curious as to how that all gets kind of intertwined. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, um, in specifically the construction portion, when that happened, we, um, we had people who had traditional construction experience, but were also trained architects in some level. And so, there was a knowledge base there of how to do that portion at that scale. I think when it came to labor force and things like that, we found um, people to sub out with that we felt like would help us on site. We had a foreman who was an architect who was part of our office. We had a person in in house who was in the office doing the, you know, the, the submittals that literally would send from one person's desk to another, the person would review it and send it back to the other person. And so, um, we're all in a big open room. And so there's a lot of conversation where if you see something, you go kind of talk to each other. Um, on the development side, we um, are at a point now where we're bringing in CMs um, on a project, whether they're early and they're helping us go through the buyout phase um, and they kind of structure the, the system that way. And as, develop, as developers and architects, we're talking through our own design intent with them and what we're trying to achieve um, to help get us there. Okay, that makes more sense. Jeff, did you, um, prior to Alloy, did you work in a, quote, more recent traditional architecture firm, or did you start with Alloy? I I did in some way. So going back a little bit further, my my parents have a um, construction company, and so growing up, I was in construction my my whole life, and, and then architecture school happened. I actually met Jared, who's the partner here through grad school um, and learned kind of about this. I actually went originally, um, it was 2009, 2010. So the market was a little bit questionable, but I actually went to um, 
Leroy Street Studio. So they're in Manhattan. They do um, more traditional architecture, but they have also a design build um, arm of them called BLDG. Worked with them a little bit um, for a couple of years doing, but mainly actually did real, I'd say traditional architecture that you're describing. Um, and I would say probably 50 to 60% of our firm people have some sort of traditional background um, in architecture, just to have trained and worked somewhere for a little while. And the reason I ask is we probably have some listeners. I know the conversation goes around a lot in previous firms that I was in. There are people that are architects that want to get into development, like completely transfer into the developer side, or they want to start their own architect developer uh, setup or be a part of that sort of team. Can you sort of summarize what you think the differences are and sort of benefits of of, of, a, of a setup like that? Sure. I think the, right, first and foremost, the development is not like a hobby. And I, I don't think you guys are suggesting that, but I think sometimes people think, oh, I'll, I'll be an architect, but I'll dabble in development. Yeah. Development is a, <laughs> the, like, the, there is a lot of knowledge, whether it's learned through process or it formally, um, you know, just exposure, et cetera. It takes a lot of time to learn it. And I've been here just shy of a decade. And while I focus primarily on architecture, the, I can't pretend to be an expert in development, but I've absorbed a lot over the, just through that process. Um, I think there are differences for that people. When I first went from, a, it was a, it was a high-end residential you know, very robust details, et cetera, in my more traditional architecture role. Um, here, I think we are, we're creating and redefining um, that relationship a little bit differently. I think the best way for myself that I've, I've described it to friends who are all architects is, it's almost like we're, um, we're creating a palette for people. So we, so in our projects, um, we are, um, creating a, a palette where we we get people there, we create the form work, the structure for people then to take ownership into really great spaces that then they can do that next level of architecture too. In most cases, people come in and then they bring in an architect to kind of fit out the space to how they want. So whether it's removal of a wall or whatever, um, to millwork, etc. And so where it differs is you're not, we don't, while we do millwork details and things like that, we aren't doing hyper-specific, you know, a light cove that carves into a window that has a special trim detail because we just don't know the exact particular nature of someone's who's going to buy it, who's going to be part of it. Hmm. And what I found really interesting is, um, and I think a traditional role, the owners, the clients, they're involved every step of the way of the process. So they, they, when they, they get delivered a product, they feel ownership over it in a sensibility in that sense, where we, for many reasons, have to just deliver them something complete, you know, free of permits, free of, you know, everything where they can, they can then do their thing. And so I think there's a, there's a little bit of a transition from a, client being involved and having a sense of ownership in the process to um, now they take it and they're going to mold it into their own kind of thing, uh, which is great. And I think our goal is to set up the best 
possible thing for them to achieve a successful project. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think at the same time, one of the things I love is client, our client relationships very different. We are the clients. And so um, we don't, you know, we are hyper efficient. We are all in a room together. We all know 3D software, whether it's Rhino or some other you know, system and we're spinning around a model and someone's pointing to a thing and saying, yeah, I like that. I don't like that. How do we do this? And you make decisions on the fly. You're not guessing who likes what and what the owner wanted. You're not making five layouts that look pretty that then they're like, that's not at all what I was talking about. (laughs) And so, you know, there's a level of efficiency that really great for, um, for ideas and passing information and uh, communication, which I think is one of the harder things in a more traditional uh, architecture setup. What I think is interesting, though, when you're talking about how many people are involved in that process, I think you guys internally, you're saying you all get together pretty harmoniously in that design process, because normally you involve more than two, three opinions. <laughs> I mean, you're looking at just a whole bunch of soup, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that I would say I've always appreciated, and I think it's a great precedent that Um, the partners have set, and I think we all try to set for our employees is, um, we're relatively ego free in a lot of ways. And, um, what we say is best design wins. And we have parts in our projects that were intern ideas, parts that the partners had where they brought a Rhino model that they worked on at, you know, midnight or whatever, when they had time, there's like, uh, you slap sketches on the board. Everyone kind of comes in for a charrette as we're going through stuff. And, um, it's a very it's a literal open environment. You know, the partners intentionally don't cubicle themselves off because they want people to hear the conversations. They want them to know why, why we're making a decision, but you know, the facades over budget and we need uh, for X, Y, and Z reasons. And so there's, there's that level of open communication, which is really, um, I think helpful to the process. That's awesome. Now, what are you working on now? You, you had mentioned, um, a oh, pretty huge development project that you guys are taking on right now. Yeah, we have two projects. So we, we really try to focus only on two projects at a time. One is uh, 168 Plymouth, which is uh, 96,000 square feet um, in Dumbo here near our office. Um, it is a masonry, um, like brick and timber building and a concrete building. Um, you know, 12 stories, 46 condo units, um, warehouse conversion, last, last lofts in, in Dumbo area. The other one is called, um, I think it was originally 80 Flatbush. The first phase is um, 100 Flatbush, and it's in downtown Brooklyn, uh, which is a really in- interesting, amazing area. It is um, where uh, the Barclays, so where the Nets play, it's kind of right across the street. Um, there's probably the second most um, subway lines infrastructure in the city um, passing through there. So it's a very transit rich um, area. And um, yeah, so we probably five years ago um, went through a process um, with the city to rezone the entire um, city block. So we had had, we had um, control and ownership over probably two thirds of the block. Uh, the other portion was an existing school called the Gail Gibran International Academy. And um, through their facilities were completely outdated. They were from, you know, 1890, 1860. And this building just was not um, not a good modern school from a 
from any perspective, no ADA, no elevators, no gym, you know, just the facilities needed upgrading. And so we work with the city to go through a, uh, what's called ULERP, which essentially is a rezoning process, uh, which involves, it's probably a year long process at least, that involves various agencies, whether it's um, the community board, the borough president, the um, city planning, and then finally the our council member vote. And so we were able to upzone the site and essentially um, generate uh, a total development um, of almost a million square feet. So it's a big project. It's multi-phased. It, um, the first phase, which we're working on now, is a tower and a school. Uh, the school is uh, actually a combination of two schools, a new one for that Hildebrand Academy, one for um, lower school. It's going to be the first passive house school uh, in the city, which we're really excited about. And then um, the tower is um, about 300,000 square feet, plus or minus, um, you know, 200 and something of that is residential and about 100,000 office and then some retail. It's going to be the first um, electric tower and all electric tower in Brooklyn, uh, which we're also really excited about from wow. sustainability and kind of forward thinking carbon free sort of um, perspective. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's been interesting to kind of try to rewrite that when you have to <laughs> when you draw up a whole new um, zoning plan. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine Jeff. So we're up against it today. Um, we'll have to have you back and maybe focus in on one of those projects. That one sounds yeah. pretty cool. Do yeah. like a long form episode on that one. Cause there's a lot yeah. of components to that. Yeah. It's um, just describing the whole getting through the process could take an hour every time <laughs> we have to, to pitch it. But um, no, I, I really appreciate the time. This is a fun uh, conversation. And um, obviously the, um, I think the, evolution of the architect's role is going to be, um, you know, ever changing, especially going forward now, but, um, I appreciate you guys making time. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Um, before we get out of here though, is there, um, social media or website, anything you want to plug? Yeah. Our website is, uh, alloyllc.com. So it's relatively straightforward. Um, we have links to our projects there. Um, be great to, learn more about what we're doing. Uh, the more section is pretty fun. We um, push pretty heavily for involvement in the community. Um, there's a lot of things to learn from there um, that we're working on um, projects, uh, artist opportunities and things like that, that we try to get engaged with, which is um, a whole nother half of what we, we try to do. So. All right. Thanks again. Um, to the listeners, thank you for listening. We have an episode that just came out uh, on fire safety. So check that out. And other than that, we will talk again on Tuesday. Thanks. This show is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star rating and a review on your preferred podcasting app. It helps others find us, and your support is the only way that this show grows. And don't forget to connect with us through our Facebook community, Instagram, and see the random thoughts and articles that we share on Twitter and LinkedIn. 
Thank you again for spending some time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.